1: Hey, welcome to the show. We are ready to engage in a little more advanced wrong think because I have one of my advanced wrong thinking pals. Uh, Gary Welch is here with me. Hi, Gary.
2: Hi, Brian. And, uh, And if there's ever a time to be a wrong thinker, I think it is now that with all the things that are going on and people capitulating to the cancel culture, I think wrong fingers are, are in much demand right now.
1: We should probably go ahead and start right here, because I think this is on a lot of people's minds today. And I, frankly, I do want to get some more of your take on this. Gary and I both kind of teed off before we ever opened up the mics about uh, Dr. Seuss. Six Dr. Seuss books apparently are, are being uh, withdrawn by whoever manages the Seuss properties. And it's because of their saying uh Racist and stereotypical, insensitive uh, stereotype, uh, you know, uh, insults or pictures that that appeared in them, and if you're really looking for offense, yes, you know what the the China man depicted with chopsticks and the ponytail and everything, um, in to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, yeah, you could probably take offense, or you could just let it go right past you like kids did who never saw anything offensive about chinese people and just simply realized you know they're they're depicting a whole different cast of characters i don't know maybe the kids have it all wrong
2: they should be more wound up about this what do you think well maybe we had it all wrong because as i was telling you i i read those books to my kids hundreds of times i cannot tell you how many times my kids they love those books and i had to read it to them Mm -hmm. i never caught it i never saw anything in it that i thought was overly offensive and yes I did see that but I saw it as just simply you know he he characterized white people too in that I mean you know look at the way the girls and the guys look in that the 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 people and the animals and everything it was just a character because everything in the book was a character yep so how can you sit there and say okay he's 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 demonizing these certain people But remember, this this
1: this is the same school of thought that apparently looked at the shape of the stage at CPAC and saw some ancient Nazi ruin or some ancient rune that was a Nazi symbol. Um, I I looked up the specific rune they were talking about. I've never seen it before in my life. Maybe, maybe I don't spend enough time you know, studying Norse mythology, but apparently that was, uh, that was what they said. The, the shape of the, the stage at CPAC, it was an actual white supremacist symbol. They're not even hiding it anymore, Gary. I, I'm sorry. Well, I, I want to I dump cold water on people who talk like that and say, would you come back to reality? How hard do you have to be looking to find that kind of symbolism?
2: Well, anybody can and will i mean we 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 right. found monuments on Mars that were built by ancient civilizations and so you can see it but the the point is is it's like with the you know the the guys that are the moon conspiracy guys that said we never landed and all that stuff. You can have that opinion, but when you force others to share that opinion or even as ridiculous as it is, that's when I become concerned that you want to say it. Fine. I don't care. Go ahead. Right. It's, it's just when, you, when you have achieved some kind of power where you're able to force people to bend to your ridiculous notions, that's pretty scary. And that, but it's
1: happening. And, and I agree with you. I don't know what it is. Why do people go along with it? Why, why do people, why are people so quick to bend the knee? And I'm not saying they need to be defiant or even, you know, feisty and in their face and want to fight them, but just don't accept the guilt. It it really, you, you don't have to accept guilt just because someone is proffering it. You can tell them no thanks and go on about your business. But I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe there there are too many ways for us to be vulnerable to be doxxed, you know, to, well, I'm going to approach your employer. I'm going to make sure that you lose your job because that seems to be the pattern they're following.
2: So has the council culture raised such a a level of of repercussions for not not thinking the way they want you to think that they have achieved the results of compliance now that we we do comply because of fear? I think a lot of people do.
1: And, and I mean, think about this once. When's, when's the last time you were having a conversation in public and you wanted to say something, but you found yourself looking <laughs> to see if anybody's standing close, because what you had to say might be construed as politically incorrect. Yeah, I can't, I can't I be—I can't be the only person who does this. And I mean, I'm—I'm I'm not going around looking for reasons to offend anybody. But sometimes, if you're going to speak plainly, you know, people are going to—they're going to disagree. That's—it's—it's it's what they do with it. And I—I I agree with you, Gary. When it's when people get around to forcing each other, but but the thing that makes it so dangerous is it's—it's it's always changing. I think it was I'm trying to remember who it was. Um the the apostle Paul wrote a letter and I can't remember to if it was to the Corinthians or whom, but he I know he said the words to the pure, all things are pure, but to, to the defiled nothing is pure because even their, their hearts are defiled. And and I'm I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but you get the point that he's making. People who see life through a lens of Impurity, or everything is defiled, everything is racist. They find it everywhere they look because it's, that's actively what drives them. People who are looking at life through a different lens and aren't looking for offense and aren't looking to put down or marginalize other people, that's, that's not how they think. They don't, they're, you know, so, so what can we do? We accuse them of microaggressions. <laughs> Gary, right. you, you asked where I'm from. Huh. What a microaggression. You must be implying that somehow I'm different. You can't win in a situation like that. Not that winning's the most important thing, but I don't know. I, I know that I have my limits. I have my line in the sand, but at the same time, I just want to be left alone. And I know that's, I know that's where you're coming from as well, but somebody just can't leave us alone. And, and I, I want to get into some, some discussion of CPAC because on the one hand, we have an alternative and I, I want to know um, what your thoughts were about the CPAC meeting that took place this last weekend. On the other hand, I, I'm not sure that uh, that I have as much faith in, in a lot of the folks who were there. Maybe Governor Christie Noem accepted that uh, that they're, they're talking from a, a position of principle rather than just, we need this power.
2: Well, to kind of finish out the last point and bring it into the latter, is it is now becoming mind control. They're really focusing on mind control, and it's not— what you do, and it's not who you are, it's what you think, or what we think you think. That's where it's really getting bad. And what I find is there is no wrong thinkers in the leadership level. So at the CPAC Republican Party main leadership, I saw no wrong think. And, And CPAC used to be a place for that. It used to be One of them, the main forums for people to speak out against the insanity. And I did not see that this year. I did not see it last year. I I just I saw everybody just basically lining up.
1: So give me some examples. What what kind of things did you hear that would indicate that uh, um, these these folks are, are maybe a little too eager to embrace the system?
2: Donald Trump embracing the GOP.
1: Wow. And that's a big one, right? Because, okay, so I have to ask you, is is he the hope of the GOP?
2: No, they don't want him to be the hope. Right. They ruined him. They tried to destroy him, his own party. Come on.
1: But does, does he have the kind of influence within the GOP? I mean, there were a lot of GOP voters who voted for him. Um, yeah, I don't know how many of them have buyer's remorse, but I'm I'm just curious. Might he take the control of the party away from those party leaders?
2: I think he thinks so that he can be the big reformer, the great reformer. Um, but uh, I have news for him: corruption is a very, very difficult beast to kill. I and
1: that's you know I I agree with you there, Gary. I mean it's it's hard to say you know how far could he get, but. With what's at stake, I mean, we saw what they were willing to, what the political establishment, Democrat and Republican alike, we saw what they were willing to do to Trump in order to, um, how did they put it, fortify the election (laughs) so the right person would win in order to impeach him and so forth. Yeah, he's, uh, I I don't know. It disturbs me to see so many people, and I mean good citizens, putting so much faith into um, you know, Trump as he's going to come back and he's going to save us. Um, I think we've got to we got to make some changes somewhere else, and I'm open to, to entertaining ideas as to where that will be. But um, if it's coming out of Washington D.C., I'm 99% convinced it's probably not going to be the right the right thing. So let's let's take a quick break. Let's come back. We've got some specific questions we're going to delve into. Gary Welsh is my guest, and we will continue just the other side of this break.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right. Welcome back to the show. Our
1: program brought to you in part today by Landmark Risk Management and Insurance and also by Monticello College. Gary Welch is my guest today. We're we're talking about uh, the big political convention that took place over the the weekend. Um, Gary, I, I, I'm guessing, and I, I'm just I'm inferring from the way you're describing CPAC, it really didn't accomplish anything of substance. Has, has the have the scales been tipped from anything that took place over the weekend, or has the water just been muddied a bit more?
2: I think they've been tipped, but in the opposite direction. I I, I think that it it established itself as a establishmentary you know an establishment organization that the powers that are pulling the levers are now pulling their levers too and that they are entrenched with with that whole deep state swamp mentality that there you go um, your your big bastion for freedom and liberty thinking minded people is gone there was only, like you said, there was only one person there that even spoke remotely on that. And she was a lone voice out of all of them.
1: Yep. So uh, let's let's talk a little bit then for people who are, are not willing to put their faith in the system there. Let's talk about some of the options that are available to us. Um, I, I think there, and I think you would agree, there are principles that need to be stood up for. There are ideas that are worthy of of protecting and and doing our best to defend. Um, If we don't do it within the GOP, let's let's talk about some of the alternatives.
2: So my my um, humble opinion to Donald Trump is these guys demonstrated they did a power play on you last year and demonstrated to you conclusively that you cannot control them. They can control you. They they stole that. It wasn't the Democrats that stole that election from you, Don. It was your own party. And I point to Georgia. Take a look at that state and who was there, buddy. That was your state. And then when the impeachment trial came up, who was there supporting that? It wasn't the Democrats. It was your own party. That deep state apparatus, they took that election away from you. And that was them demonstrating to you, you're not the rebel you think you are. You do not have the power to, to run this party. There is no reforms. And, and this is the status in the case in every corrupt organization. Trying to reform it from within, it's never worked. I'll just come out and say it. It has never, ever worked in the entire history of human civilization. It always comes from without. If you are trying to reform an organization, you have to do it from without and put that outside pressure on them to create those reforms. Then it does happen. There have been obviously institutions that reform. Um, the Catholic Church is one of the better examples of that of, of, of having gone into a state of. And I don't want to sound like um, you know I'm being attacking of them. I'm not, but they went through a state of of what you might call corruption. And there were plenty of reformers trying to reform from within at that time. Over and over again, we saw them rise up within the church to try to make those reforms. It was only when Lutherism took off and the protestant movement started that we actually saw the reforms of the Catholic Church. And it did reform and it became better because of it. But it never would have happened from just purely within. It had to take an outside force. So where do you see that that
1: out for outside force uh, coming from or what's what's the likely source going to
2: be in our time? So one of the things I'd like to kill is this misconception that it can be done without a political party. I am sorry. That is never, ever going to happen It has never happened in the world again, same thing. There's never been an organization institution that once become corrupted reforms from within there has never been political change without a political apparatus, a party involved with that. So we do need a political party, a political organization with candidates, volunteers, donors, um, messaging, branding, all those things that you need to be successful. You, you need something that can challenge the GOP and really the Democrats for that matter.
1: Okay, now I think there's been some effort over time to build such parties. We call them third parties. Sometimes, uh, you know, they, they make a little bit of a splash, but generally it's been very hard for third parties to get traction. Why is that?
2: My opinion of third parties is very low. I um, mean, ha- And this is coming from somebody who has been very very active in third parties. I have tried to promote the third party um, program as much as possible with various third parties that I felt are lined up with the Liberty movement and with the, the conservative movement. And in every case I have found them to be so disappointing, so disorganized. They don't even have good messaging um, and, and effort to, to put into this. And I think the biggest thing is because Everybody buys into the big two, the, the Democrats and the Republicans, and they just bought into this is the way it is. That, that if you want to be successful, you have to act like a Republican and you have to act like the Democrats and you have to do the things that the Republican Party does because that's what it takes to be successful. And when you're doing that, you're playing their game. That that's exactly what they want you to do because they are the big guys. They're making the rules. And when you say, okay, we're going to play by the rules. We're going to do things your way. You're just setting yourself up for failure. And I have not seen except for very recently within the last couple of months. And again, this, even this party is still really incredibly small. It has to have some growth behind it and get going. But, you know, I have seen these third parties where, They really have played that game and they and they play that that we're going to be Republicans in a different form or we're going to be Democrats in a different form. And, you know, just to put it out there, the United America Party was the first party that that I have witnessed where they actually said they're saying we're going to do it differently and we're not going to play that game. And. It takes something like that. I don't care where it comes from, but it's going to have to take something like that.
1: I think one of the the things that I struggle with is uh, what I see most of the parties, at least the successful political parties, the ones in power doing, is they're using a very Machiavellian approach, which is not to say that they're evil through and through, but it's very pragmatic. Instead of focusing primarily on what's the principle at stake, what is the right thing to do in this instance, they focus on what works which is what Machiavelli was famous for, right? Separating what works from questions of wrong and right. And I think both of the major political parties operate by that, uh, by that principle. Now, Gary, I have to ask you, does that give them an unfair advantage when other parties come along that would, would provide a credible alternative, but these, these other parties are um, handicapped, if you will, by the fact that they, they won't you know, use that by any means necessary approach?
2: Oh, absolutely. But that's the whole thing that 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 happens with any entrenched into institution. It happens with incumbents all the time. They are absolutely going to take advantage of the power that they have and the abilities that they have to control the outcomes. And again, let let me go right back to the Donald Trump election. That was nothing more than the GOP hierarchy, The, the people behind the scenes that you do not know about, but who have the real power telling Donald Trump demonstrating to him we have the power we are going to use everything within our power to stop you that's a scary thought and yet i i can't say that i i could
1: deny the plausibility of that uh, that being the case clearly there's a great deal that's at stake here and uh, you know i just don't i don't underestimate human nature to do whatever they think they need to do in order to hang on to power. So I think that that's likely what was done. And again, this brings us back to one of the bigger questions, which is, okay, so if that's what they're doing, what can we do? And we'll explore that in more depth when we continue with Gary Welch, just the other side of this news update.
0: The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
2: Hey,
1: welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. We are, as usual, solving the problems of the world today and, uh, Gary, there, there is any number of directions we could go in terms of, uh, you know, uh, how do we fix what's what's going on? I'm more and more of the the mindset that I don't know that it can be fixed. I think we can build what comes next. But I'm, I'm not sure the system itself is salvageable. I think I perceive that you have a little more optimistic uh, take on this than I do, though.
2: Is, is that true? Absolutely. I've I've always said this, that. It takes us a little time to get there, but we do get there. We always we always end up for the most part. Figuring things out. And again, it may may take a little bit of time. And the other side of this that I've always said is that government and those in power will always take it to the degree of failure. They will always go to the point of failure where it collapses down on them. The bad part about that is usually when they get to the point of failure, it causes a disaster like a war, civil war or an economic disaster or something like that. But they've they've absolutely like taken this COVID thing to the point of failure. They are pushing this and they're trying to tell us, oh, we're going to go through another summer of of things like this, where we're still going to be confined in mass and social distancing. And everybody's starting to fight back. You know, you're seeing that 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 pushback now where they're going, no, this ain't going to happen. And it's just only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. They're going to push back harder and push back harder. And when that pushback really hits hard, that's when everybody's going to really wake up and they're going to start listening to people like you and me and these others that have been saying these things for a long time. Now we're, we're actually going to start resonating with them. And they're going to say, you know what, maybe they really did messed up. Because they did. They messed up. We were the worst, worst country in the world when it came to how we handled COVID. There's no doubt about it.
1: Okay, let me let me try to make sense of that then. What, what was it that made us the worst? Was it, I, I mean, in terms of, like, actually slowing the spread of the virus or in terms of the damage we did to ourselves in an attempt to, you know, slow the spread of the virus?
2: Just that, both. The, the the attempts that we made were the wrong attempts, the things we did to ourselves that caused more damage than the, the virus did itself and just basically ruined everything, that we allowed them to do that and get away with that and that they really showed their incompetence. And I, I keep harping on this, that this is not, this was, it was a power play, but more importantly, it was a demonstration of how incompetent our leaders are, and they, I I really even resist calling them leaders because I don't even think they're good at that, but they really screwed up as far as how do we, how do we solve this? How do we stop it? They took an attitude of, we are greater than God and we can stop a disease. You know, that mentality. The disease will obey our, our words. (laughs) It'll obey our policies. Right. You know, (laughs) <laughs> okay, I get it. You guys are egotistical. It comes with the package. But come on, man. Check it at the door somewhere. Where do you think you guys got off? And like, yeah, we can tell everybody to stop this. That We can stop this disease from moving around. And we can control everybody's movements and all that whole thing. You know, that was just such a bad, bad disaster. And then the economic consequences of just basically, you know, that that economic suicide that they, they created. And then they're still creating even more problems with it. Um, We're going to have to face this, this, these trillions of dollars of debt now that they're piling on us, that is going to come back to haunt us. It's, it's a never ending disaster. Now I was just pointing
1: out here, Gary is the more optimistic of the two of us. (laughs)
2: As, yep. as you're spelling this out,
1: I just want to know i it's there's there's always going to be challenges and and we have some particularly daunting ones, but uh, Gary, I know that you and I are on the same page on this. We have to approach things more from a basis of what it, what are the correct principles at stake here what what are the principles we're trying to uphold as opposed to you know who are we trying to vanquish or how much power are we trying to grab and this is where I struggle because I'm trying to I'm trying to encourage people. It's it's worth your time to really understand the principles and practices that make you a free people that make your government responsive to you. And I get I get the sense that people are either a overwhelmed, you know, and ready to give up. Well, there's nothing we can do. It's just too much. Um, or they just uh, they feel like maybe, well, you know, I have a I have a, a dog in that fight. I like to use that system. You know, to to punish those who disagree with me, or to control those who who live in in my city or my town. So it's it's a tough thing to break through both of those mindsets, or at least per, persuade people. Maybe there's another way of looking at this that that doesn't involve um, essentially you know holding a sword up to people and saying now you have to do what I say.
2: Well, this is something that I like a lot about your message, Brian, and that it is that that optimistic freedom, that, that optimism about freedom. And I preach it all the time. I talk about that. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't think it's all over. Don't think we've lost. We haven't lost at all. We're we're not even close to losing right now. Yeah. You know, things are not going great. We could be a lot better off and the battles are not always being won, but this war is far from over. And at the end of the day, the power resides with us, not them, and and we just simply have to find that power once again. It's always there. It's always in within us. We just simply have to find it and exercise it and bring it out.
1: No, I I agree. And and you know, the funny thing is, you you really become labeled uh, an extremist when you start talking about things like, look, you and I and everybody else have God given natural rights. That are not subject to negotiation, at least not under proper government. But uh, that's exactly the kind of dissent or the kind of rhetoric that uh, unfortunately about half the country is looking at and saying, well, that's terrorist language. It's a little bit scary to see the lengths that some people are willing to go to try to to uh, shut down or silence, you know, any kind of opposition to this um, juggernaut of more and more government, you know, till it's everywhere in our lives.
2: So that's what I'm hoping that we accomplish is to get out that light in the darkness that to shine a light on, on the reality of, of who we are, what we are and what it means to be a human being here on this earth. And, and talk about those things like our innate rights, our, our freedoms that are built within that, that desire. And this is something that I have always talked about. I said, I've always said the secret weapon that we have is that God has put into us a flame, and and that flame burns all the time. Um, I talk about the guy in Tiananmen Square standing in front of the tank. He was raised in a propaganda society, in a totalitarian society where everything was controlled. He was told to believe in the party, love the party, obey the party. And there he was standing in front of a tank saying, No, you won't. Where did that come from? Oh, that's that a good came question. in from within. We have a natural innate desire to resist change. We always resist change. And that's born in us. That's God given to us. We we there's not a human being out there that says, I love change. We always hate that. And it's going to be that flame, that hatred of change. That if we expose that, if we just simply point to him and say, "You know, you're Marley's ghost, dude. You're Ebenezer Scrooge. You have these chains on you, and you don't know it. You can't see it. But I'm going to point it to you, and once you see you're wearing those chains, you're going to resist." I
1: love it. No, I'm I'm with you on this, Gary. I love that you used the uh, Tiananmen Square guy too, and something that occurred to me as you're describing the stand he took, I want to ask. Uh, who gave him permission to go stand in front of that tank? Right. And it was, you know, a person who thinks about it. Well, nobody gave him permission to go to. That's right. He made his legs move. He decided this is as far as it goes without me, you know, doing something. And he made his legs move and stand him in front of that tank. But it was his decision. And that's that's how a free person thinks.
2: And I'm, I'm one of the biggest conformists you'll ever find. I'm one of the guys that get along, go along type of individuals. And I do that until my freedoms and my rights are violated. And then I, no, nope, I don't conform any longer. I'm sorry. That's where I stand up in front of the tank and say, dude, you're not moving forward.
1: So how do we get people to, to be aware that that in fact is a tank? Lumbering at them rather than just a friendly politician with a handshake and a kiss for the babies <laughs> and maybe a sniff if his last name's Biden. OK, I'll, I'll let that one just <laughs> hang there. Anyway, we'll take a quick break. Gary Welch is my guest. We are solving the problems of the world. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, COVID. I, I want to believe that, uh, you know, things are going to relax. Texas opened up today. That's good. When can we start to feel safe again? We'll be
2: right back.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right,
1: welcome back to the show. Political consultant Gary Welch is my guest, and we're just, you know, talking about all the different stuff going on in the world. I think uh, one of the most overlooked things here, Gary, I'm just going to throw this out there because uh, I, I have so much respect for the people who do this, is no matter which party's in power, no matter how the house of cards may be tumbling or appearing to be ready to tumble down, one thing that we can do, you and I, is be good neighbors and just be good people and we should never underestimate the power of that kind of an example, especially during times where, where there's a lot of turmoil and, you know, people, uh, there's not a lot of trust. I mean, I want to come back to the COVID thing here. Um, masks are pretty, I think they're, they're pretty much uh, assimilated into a part of our society now. I don't see as many people, you know, struggling with it as as I once did, but I sure see a lot of compliance and and something tells me that's likely to continue even after, you know, a, a sort of all clear has sounded in terms of businesses opening up and so forth. Uh, do, you, do you see us ever um, stepping back from that sense of I better cover up? I'm going out, you know, where there's people.
2: Oh, I think the moment that whoever gives the OK, like in Texas. That when we get the okay, that masks are no longer required, I think you see them disappear right away. I don't know. I don't think it's like a slow disappearance. I think that on, you know, they announce it at 8 o'clock. At 9 o'clock, nobody's wearing masks. Oh, that's uh, that's something I would very much like to see. I just, We're just waiting for it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm still seeing way too many, um, you know, anecdotal videos of people having, you know, knock-down, drag-out confrontations over masks. That seems to have gotten worse over time. And, and, you know, sometimes it's in places like California with very strict lockdown, uh, you know, rules and mandates. But uh, but it, it, it disturbs me because it, it to me, that's it's a symptom of a bigger problem, which is we're very divided. We don't trust one another. And and for some reason, some people really like to flex, you know, their their sense of power on other people. And that's that's a good excuse to do so if
2: if you are of a controlling nature. So one of the things I always love talking about is the media distortion lens. And that's that's everything that media looks at is through a very distorted lens, and it makes it look bigger than what it really is. You have five people that have a, a fight, or they have an argument, or they beat somebody up, or they do something like that. It gets out, and millions and millions of people see it, and we go, oh, this is all over the place. This is happening everywhere. It's still a small, small very small minority. Yep. And I think that these individuals you know, that are pushing this agenda that are moving it are a very small minority. The rest of us are just, you know, Hey, I'll do it because that's the right thing to do. I'm a good citizen and all that other stuff. And again, once we, it's really stupid that we need it, but once we get that permission, it's okay. I think the vast majority of us take off the mess. Um, they just bought into this, this whole thing. And like I said, the pushback is already just starting as time goes on, that's going to get worse and worse. And we're going to figure it out pretty soon that they pulled the wool over our eyes and they, they faked us out with a a pandemic that really wasn't a true pandemic that, you know, is what they made it out to be. And that the things they did were absolutely wrong. So again, it's just, like right now, you know, I believe like here in Utah where you and I live, if the governor just came right out now and just said, okay, everybody, I'm following Texas lead. or um, you don't need to wear them anymore. I really do believe that we would see probably one out of 100.
1: Actually wearing a mask at that point. Yes. Man, I hope that's the case. Because I, I am really... <sighs> You know, you mentioned the weariness, <laughs> the, the war weariness of, of it. I'm feeling it, Gary. I don't, I don't want to sound like a weakling, but uh, I'm, I'm tired of, of the burden of, you know, having to worry, oh, was I too close, you know, to somebody here? Did I, did I step the, against the direction of the arrows, you know, in the supermarket aisle? It, it seems like we're, we're trained to second guess ourselves at every turn. And, and that's something that uh, I'd like to see leave society for a while. How about you?
2: I agree. And I don't know if we can achieve that with everybody, but I think we could achieve it with people of influence um, and people who are the leaders. I, I, and I always talk about that. That's a focus that we should make. Don't try to get everybody to convert, just work on the leaders and influencers, you know, folks like yourself who are putting out this message, they will get everybody to turn around and turn their heads human beings by nature want to live together peacefully in harmony. And we want to do, you know, we just want to get along that type of thing, but it's always that top 10% that just goes out there and says, you know what, we're going to set the pattern. We're going to set the rules. We're going to make the paths. And it's those individuals really that have to be the leaders, be true leaders in this case and be leaders for Liberty, you know, be, be leaders for right. Be leaders for freedom and not leaders for evil and tyranny and those type of things. Yep. I think
1: one of the most powerful things I've ever read was uh, from Alexander Solzhenitsyn who said very, very clearly that the line between good and evil doesn't run between political parties. It doesn't go between nations borders. That's easy to forget. Sometimes he said, it runs right through the middle of every single human heart. And so you and I may not be powerful enough that we can stop bad ideas from coming forward or that we can stop people from doing evil things for whatever reason. But the one place where we have absolute power to prevent stuff like that from happening is to keep it from happening through us. And when you think about it, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty considerable amount of influence that every single person wields everywhere they go in every decision they make. Unfortunately, it's, it doesn't have as uh, uh, as as flashy and and as good of uh, you know a press coverage as as what's going on you know in Washington D C for instance there's a lot of pretend a lot of melodrama oh look yes we're doing this all for you but but in the end it it really doesn't solve as many problems
2: as it seems to either create or uh, exacerbate. So one of the things that I've learned in marketing and this is very much a product of uh, political marketing in particular is, a, is a, a topic called resonance of, of resonating with the people and saying things and doing things that they resonate with. And the idea behind this is if I say something, if I say you need to move in a certain direction and you're already halfway there, you're kind of feeling like, yeah, you know what? I, I'm already kind of wanting to move in that direction. I'm more likely to do so versus in that you are totally opposite saying, no, I absolutely will not do that, getting you to move. And so one of the things that I have been saying is that we should be doing as as what the influencers and everybody should be doing is work upon that resonance that we all know and that we all believe in. This is something that 98 percent of Americans all agree with, and that is your government officials are incompetent. They are stupid. They don't know what they're doing. I can tell that to any American and only 2% of them are going to argue with me. Okay, fair enough. I was
1: going to say, "Are you sure you're not being too too kind?" <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, untrustworthy. We we say they're untrustworthy, we say they're incompetent. COVID proves the incompetency. Beyond it it, it was a deadly proof. I I always say that everybody who's died since summertime is directly responsible for our government. The things they did, the actions they took, we could have had that. We could have achieved herd immunity way back in the summertime. We could have achieved this scenario where we isolated only those who were vulnerable. The rest of us would have caught it. We might have got sick for a couple of days. Most of us wouldn't have got anything. And then this thing is done. You don't need vaccinations because we've already had this immunity built. And this thing ends in the summertime. But they dragged it out. And because of that, hundreds of thousands of more people have died from this thing who wouldn't have done it if they just would have been smart.
1: I am in complete agreement. I'm just hoping that we're learning from it. I know you see it. I think I see it clearly. And and I want to help other people see it, too, but, uh, you know, not at the expense of, you know, beating them over the head with it or otherwise, you know, insisting, hey, you either believe this or, you know, you're dumb. And I don't think that I don't think we take that approach, but it just seems like so much of of what we're we're trying to get out there. Um, There's a counter narrative or maybe a bunch of counter narratives that just seem to to prevent it from from ever occurring to most people. Well, there's a topic for another time. We'll talk a little bit more about media and how it uh, alters our perceptions. Gary, great to visit with you as always. I'm always grateful for the opportunity. Okay, let's catch up again next week, same time. That's gonna do it for the show. Please stop by my my website, the com. Take a look at my sponsors, send a little love their way if you need their product or their service, or you just want to tell them, hey, thank you for sponsoring the show.